It's September 13th, 2021, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today in our show, R-Square, PayPal, and Shopify on a collision course. Amazon keeps investing more and more in planes. And is Instacart nervous about its own future? And finally, the Investor Minute contains five items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news, Disney is closing virtually all of its retail locations. Recent reports from Entrepreneur Magazine show that Disney has announced it's closing 75% of its retail locations or more than 60 stores, moving 2,000 employees from California to the Orlando area. For its part, Disney is receiving $600 million from their state of Florida to make the move. Can I just rant for a second? At least half of these employees will not make the move to Florida, making this effectively a massive layoff. But in the meantime, the company pockets half a billion dollars in incentives and tax credits over time. Did I get that right? All in-store corporate employees, including designers, merchandisers, buyers, vice presidents, all these people now need new jobs. In many cases, this is digital and retail talent that most companies would kill to recruit. The shift to e-commerce in the pandemic greatly accelerated the decline of these stores, unfortunately. Or did it? At the same time, Disney is opening over 100 new stores instead of Target shops, which indicates that it's not retail that's dead, just Disney's retail cost structure. In the meantime, Disney is getting what I'm sure are hefty brand licensing fees from Target, on top of the fact that now it doesn't need to carry the expenses of operating the stores. Unfortunately, this does put the brand further from the consumer relationship, which is a definite downside. Stepping back from Disney for a moment, Many retailers have a host of issues. First, they have too many stores, not enough traffic in those stores due to the pandemic, particularly in any store that is not driven primarily by weekly replenishables. Second, their costs of real estate are too high, and they can't get people to show up to work and retail jobs. Third, the cost to revamp the stores and put in technology to offer better consumer experiences is just too high. Target has been doing this the past seven years, so all those costs are already baked in for the retailer. But what about the specialty retailers? Are they going to make their own investments in micro-fulfillment, curbside, and store pickup? Those investments are complex and expensive. This is an advantage for companies like Target and Walmart. Now, the biggest question in my mind, does Disney's failure signal a broader decline in specialty retail experiences, or is this just Disney reshuffling its own balance sheet? I'm sure a lot of retail executives are wondering just that right now. Our second story, are Square, PayPal, and Shopify on a collision course? Recent market events highlight an increasing competitive trend between the players. Shopify's ShopPay continues to make consumer investments that encroach on PayPal's territories with inroads into Facebook's Marketplace, Google Shopping, and TikTok. Two years later, Square acquired website builder Weebly and recently acquired Buy Now, Pay Later leader Afterpay. These moves put it more into competition with Shopify in the SMB market. PayPal recently acquired Japanese pay later provider Payday, and in the last few months also introduced a POS solution called Zettle, based on its acquisition four years ago of iZettle. This move puts PayPal squarely into Square's territory, pardon the pun. The commonality appears to be a trinity of services required to compete, a consumer-pacing payment provider, a robust cloud-based e-commerce platform, and a retail point-of-sale solution, or POS. On top of this is a network of robust application developers required to cover all the other functions that growing merchants need, such as marketing, conversion enhancement, and operations. 
So what does this mean for each player? I think PayPal is most asleep at the switch here. The Payday acquisition in Japan confirms to me that the company won the second prize in the buy now, pay later sweepstakes. Possible next moves for the firm include acquiring a solid cloud-based e-commerce platform. Square, despite its previous acquisition of Weebly, doesn't have a serious e-commerce platform needed if it wants to move up market. This could also put it in market for an e-commerce platform with a strong developer ecosystem. Shopify, while the best position here, has a weaker point of sales solution than Square. Even the company's own sales team doesn't recommend its solution for businesses with more than 10 stores. Overall, the company wants to build rather than acquire, and so it may view its current innovation capabilities as good enough to repel its growth. I expect Shopify to span pat here, especially given that the CEO said in its last earnings call that the company is quite happy with its POS system, which is on its third or fourth rewrite now. Now, where's Amazon in all this? Not to be left out, there's a breaking news from Business Insider that Amazon plans to introduce its own POS solution for merchants. Listen to this quote and tell me that Amazon doesn't have both Shopify and Square Envy. Quote, This will allow our small business customers to unify their online and offline channel management, including inventory, offer, contactless recognition and payment, and offer a customizable loyalty program that can utilize prime benefits. End quote. My take? I think the part about prime benefits portrays their intention here. Despite the language about small businesses, this is a Trojan horse for expanding and promoting Prime into every small retailer in America. The issue, Amazon has tried this move before, shutting down its previous POS system called the Local Register Program in 2015. In this coming battle, the advantage in the short term goes to Shopify due to the depth and breadth of its developer community. The discoverability of their app store is second to none in this market, and there's still no other platform that commands as much agency and developer attention. Our third story, Amazon keeps investing more and more in planes. A new research report from DePaul University tracks Amazon's continued airline expansion. In case you missed it, Amazon has established a network of 42 airports located within 100 miles of more than 70% of the U.S. population. Notably, Amazon Air is now up to over 160 flights per day. What does it all mean? First, 100 miles is an important distance. Amazon is now less than a two-hour drive from over 200 million people in the United States. The company is inching closer to filling out its important middle-mile portion of its fast delivery network. Second, Amazon has been able to achieve next-day delivery mostly through forward deployment of inventory. These airline developments could improve its next-day reliability even if inventory is not positioned near the consumer. With overseas container delays and warehouse space shortages in the United States, including at Amazon's own fulfillment service, FBA, this is an important capability. Third, while more routes improve service, there is also the risk of not filling up those planes, which only makes it more likely that Amazon will soon offer third-party packages in its network to fill gaps in its own demand. Morgan Stanley has famously predicted that Amazon could launch this service in the U.S. as early as this year, but it will take some more time for them to prepare a proper third-party rollout and likely they will want to wait until both the pandemic and space constraints are in the rearview mirror. Now, it's impossible not to notice that Amazon is building its own network very differently than FedEx has, which famously runs most of its volume through its gigantic Memphis hub. Instead, Amazon seems to be taking a more decentralized approach to its network, which is better suited to its own goals of maximizing service, flexibility, and reliability compared to FedEx's traditional goal of optimizing its own costs. And our last story, 
Is Instacart nervous about its future? Recent news from Business Insider on Instacart is not encouraging. Apparently nervous about the company's valuation coming out of the pandemic, former Instacart CEO Apoorv Mita reached out to both DoorDash and Uber CEO about a merger. Both sets of talks failed and Mita pulled out of them. At one point, he restarted talks a few weeks later, even dragging in the incoming CEO, Fiji Simo. Talk about a recipe for disaster. It certainly looks bad for outgoing CEO Apoorv Mehta, who appears to have mismanaged this process terribly. For Instacart's board, whose own credibility is now on the line, why didn't they just hire an investment banker and run a proper process? Or file a confidential IPO like Rent the Runway recently did to give themselves time to shop the business around and improve its fundamentals at the same time. To add insult to injury, this failed merger attempt which shook up the delivery space Read DoorDash and Uber led to a half-hearted attempt to partner with upcoming competitor GoPuff. Sadly, GoPuff had already picked its dance partner, Uber. Instacart seems to be suffering from the worst form of short-term strategic thinking, namely that comparable sales coming out of COVID are bad, growth is slowing, and so it needs to do something dramatic to pump up valuations headed into its IPO. Rather than thinking about the long-term fundamentals of the business, the discussion seems to be dominated by the needs of short-term investors, which is never a good sign. Furthermore, the incoming CEO seems to think that a Facebook-like app and advertising program is going to win this market, instead of executing on the fundamentals of a great grocery experience. Which brings me to my final point. Instacart is sadly mistaken if it thinks it can accelerate its growth but it's also innovating on its core consumer proposition. After all, advertising only works if the actual grocery experience is one consumers want to come back to. And with reports that Walmart has already cornered more than 25% of the U.S. grocery market, I think there is serious cause for concern. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have five items on the menu today. First, Startup OneRail raised $9 million to scale its last-mile delivery software. Unlike other players, the company's approach is actually a kind of marketplace for an array of last-mile companies. Second, Refunded, a company designed to eliminate waiting times for consumer refunds, raised $3 million from Afterpay's venture fund. This continues a trend started by other returns financing companies in the past like Returnly and Loop, but for any kind of refund, not just returns. The investor question to consider here is whether a returns-oriented company or a payments-oriented company will be the winner in this segment. Third, there have been a few new developments in the Amazon aggregator space. U.S. aggregator foreign brands raised $100 million in debt financing. Bain is said to be near a deal to acquire Berlin Brands Group for $1.2 billion in one of the first big exits in the space. Lastly, UK-based Heroes raised $200 million to buy up more Amazon merchants in its own roll-up play. Fourth, startup Snipcart was acquired by website builder and WordPress competitor Duda. This allows an API-first e-commerce platform to join a growing content management system, which seems like an interesting fit. And finally, I ran across an interesting app last week called Amazon After, which proves that sometimes the simplest ideas really are the best. The new app by Amron allows you to sell, donate, or recycle items you've previously purchased from Amazon by connecting to you to your personal Amazon order history. Why didn't I think of this? That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our show is produced by Citizen Racecar. 
Alex Brower is the producer and also wrote our theme music. The executive producer is David Hoffman. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts. 